we're getting to a point we kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel on this study. And you know, after all this time dealing with the church in that first century, all the things that took place, um, particularly in the last 150 years, thereabouts, uh, all of the things that took place, and it, it, it became, you know, it's clear to us that people made some rather errant decisions concerning the work of the church and, and uh, brought about this need for restoration. In Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, this is what Paul wrote to the Galatian brethren. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, he simply said, he said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And, you know, anything less than that is just not enough. And that's why we've spent this time of late talking about the individual. And, and, and without restoring the inner spirit, all, all of the outward things, the visible things, really mean nothing. Uh, because it has to do with the individual, their heart, and, and their relationship uh, with the Father and the Son. And as important as all of those things were and are that we talked about as the church kind of imploded, I guess, rather than exploded, um, it uh, really brings about the idea that, that what we ended up with was a, quote, impotent religion and uh, in, in, in the way it was practiced. That, that God had been left behind, that Christ had been forgotten. And we can go back to the scribes and the Pharisees. And I told you last week that I would like for you to read Matthew 23. Because this is where Jesus speaks. This, this is where, I, I don't know, in, in, in my mind, when, whenever I read this, I see Jesus as angry as he was at any point during his ministry. Uh, even more so than overturning the tables and the money changers and all of that in, in the courtyard of the temple. He was angry. He wasn't miffed. You know, he wasn't just in a snit. He was angry. Because he pointed out generations, tens of generations, of things that the Hebrew people had done where God had given them every advantage possible that he laid out a plan for him, and he said, look, all you need to do is my way, and you believe and trust me, and he says, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But he's still saying, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And, 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 and it's, it's a, you know, we're, we're at a point that Jesus knows what's just around the corner. And, and he knows that when he goes to the cross, that many of the very the, 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 the absolute population he came to save is still turning their back on. 
You know, I think back when we were studying in, in Leviticus um, that it was made very clear to the Hebrew people that all of this this ritual that was put in place with the high priest and, and, and the priest and uh, all the various positions and responsibilities, you remember what he told him? He says, look, you've got to be a priest to the world. You, you are God's representative in this earth, and nothing has changed at this point. Now, it, it's interesting, if, if you look at his choice of words as, as we read through here, he, he used uh, the word hypocrite five or six times. And, and hypocrite's one of those words that when it's used on you, uh, you know, it, it kind of sends the hair on the back of your neck when it's fighting words. Five or six times he, he called the scribes and the Pharisees, he, he said, you're a hypocrite, which, which means an actor portraying a role. But if you put it in the context of the situation, he says, you're playing like you're religious, but he said, you're not. You know, you go out of your way. Of all the, the Jewish sects that had evolved over, over time, the Pharisees were probably the most conservative uh, in the interpretation of the law. But what Jesus is going to tell them over and over again in this chapter, he says, look, you, you've lost the point. You've lost the point. you missed it all. You know exactly what Jesus said to the church uh, in, in Revelation. He, he, he said, look, he, he says, you did all these wonderful things, but he says you left your first love. You've forgotten why you're doing it and, and to what end. But he says, you're just pretending to be somebody that you're really not. And then he calls them three or four times. He called them blind uh, guides and, and, and just blind. Well, the, the idea is you're standing up, putting yourself up as a leader, and you're saying, follow me, but it's that old axiom that said, you know, refers to the blind leading the blind. You don't have a clue where you're coming from. You don't have a clue where you're headed, yet you're expecting people to jump at every word you say. He said, I won't give you. And then he used the word fools a time or two. I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody use the word fool, you know, I kind of cringe a little bit because that's harsh. Because a, a, a fool is just somebody that just lacks in, in, in judgment or, or, or prudence. They're just unable to respond in an appropriate way. And when you're a fool, you know, over time it began to be used as a clown or some form of entertainment you can even apply that to that situation he, he says look people are laughing at you you know they're pointing their finger at you you don't have the judgment or, or, or the ability to make a decision where it comes to word than anything since you're fools then all the last one your servants brood of actors now there's a conversation going on over here about snakes before church. And, and, you know, most people, if they see a snake, they don't worry about the shape of its head or anything else. It's long and slender and it crawls. And the idea is you do what? You kill it. Okay? In the case of my wife, if there's one, we've got a couple of them in the house, she leaves me quick. 
she's out the front door in the car locking doors, you know, until something gets done, you know. Uh, and that's no lie. <laughs> it really happened. We, we had one one night, I, I don't know, it's been several years ago, but Shelly had gone into the kitchen. I think you were still in college. And she thought there was electrical cords sticking out from under the refrigerator. And she said, what's this electrical door, uh, cord doing? So I went in there and looked, and it was a snake. And there was about this much of this snake's tail out, and the rest of it was up underneath the refrigerator. So I just kind of put my foot on it to hold it, so it wasn't going to go anywhere, and told Becky to go get me something. And she came back in with an axe. You know, like I was going to chop up my floor, you know. She, she's deaf to snakes, you know. That's the way it's going to go. She had on a pair of my boots, you know, to hit her up here, and she was ready for combat, you know, just to come in there. But you call somebody a serpent or a viper, and, and that's saying, look, you're, you're mean-spirited. You're mean-spirited. You're, you're deadly. You're, you're spreading a poison around that's not only affecting who you are, but it's affecting who other people are as well. And the sad part is the venom that they injected, if people were infected by it, it wasn't just some discomfort that went with it, folks. It was their eternity that was being taken from them. So sure, Jesus was mad. He was upset. Let's go to the text then in Matthew 23. Let's, let's just read through it. And, and, and I want you to understand <coughs> that, you know, <coughs> remember that the church doesn't exist at this point. That he's talking to a, a sect of Hebrew people, uh, scribes and Pharisees, that are noted to be the the cross the T, dot the I people, and they're very conservative in the way they interpret everything. And he's telling them, look, you, you, you think you got something, but you don't. All right, verse 1. It said that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. And, and in other words, he's kind of planting the idea. He said, look, you know, they may say the right things, but look at them and watch and see who they are. Because what they're saying and what they're doing is not necessarily the same. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is known, and do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, 
And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, do you notice the big issue at this point? He says, you want all the best stuff. You want the best seat. You want people to just fawn over you when you come into a room or walk through the marketplace. Uh, you, you, you set your clothes up so you've got the widest borders and hems on everything and the phylacteries and all that. The, the, the entrapments that they wore are, are the best and the finest. And, and, and they want to be noticed. And that's something we call what? It's called pride. It's called pride. But Jesus points out to him, he says, look, what you want to be called is teacher. And he said there's one teacher, and that one teacher is Christ. And there's one worthy to be heard, and that's Christ. And he said the one who is among you and is the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, it, it, it's pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance. If we go back to earlier, or early on in the study, that first, all about the end of the second century A.D., we began to see a development of a uh, uh, clerical order. And you began to see the people take over positions as a bishop over multiple churches. And it started off with individual churches, and then you had a large church next to a smaller church, and this bishop would say, I'll take care of you, and I'll watch over you. And then they, they began, uh, began to assume authority over multiple churches, and it just extended out. Well, if you got authority over many, you've got to have people that work under you to work the individual spots. And then the larger the church becomes, what happens? They need help to come in, and they've got to create more positions. And, and at the same time all of this was going on, you, you had family members were being rewarded with these jobs. And, and it become, began to become... A, uh, a family business, so to speak. And they liked it. They liked the position of authority. It, it, it was pride. That happened with the Hebrew people. That happened in the church, and it still happens today in the church. And in so doing, when, when they made this separation, they say, okay, we've got the clergy over here, we got the laity over here, and the laity needs to kind of be subservient to us and come to us as the clergy to explain it all to you. Because you, you can't understand it. Have you ever been told that? I, I don't care if it's about the Bible or anything else. Has anybody ever told you, well, I, you, know, you don't understand it. You, know, you just kind of sit over there and be quiet. How'd you feel? what happened over the centuries was that the people within the church kind of lost that individual thought. And, and they lost their ability to, to think for themselves, partially because they were denied access to Scripture. 
Any of you ever listened to EWTN radio? I never had heard of it until a few weeks ago. I was driving down the road flipping channels, and, and it's a Catholic broadcasting network. I was kind of in one of those zones where nothing's coming in on the radio, and I kind of left it there for a few minutes. And in five minutes, probably ten times, they said, now you need to go to paid so-and-so in the catechism. Never once did they say go to Scripture. And, and that's what happened. The Bible was left behind. They began to establish a creed that belonged to just them. They came up with a worship manual and, and, and an order of business that you had to do to be a part of that body. And it didn't have anything to do with Scripture. They'd lead you to believe that it did, but when you looked, it really didn't. And they began to, to bind things on people and say, this is what you have to do. But they themselves, just as it was talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, were unwilling to do the very thing they were binding on other books. Now look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. That's pretty harsh. He said, your condemnation is going to be greater condemnation. You go in and you devour the widow's houses, yet you stand up and make these long, beautiful prayers, wordy and, and flowery and language, and the only person that's hearing it is yourself and maybe a few people that want to give heat to you that are around you. I think he's saying that God's turning a deaf ear to what you're saying. God's not hearing you. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You block the door. They can't get in if they choose to make that effort. And you think you've got it all, he's telling them, but you've got nothing. You've got nothing. All the finery. Now what's, what's God's expectation of the church? live in service to live in service and not really to be seen or heard you know I've dealt with with leaders in a lot in a lot of different levels and some of the best leaders I've ever known the ones that really were in charge in an organization never said a word during a meeting you've known those types they don't, they don't stand up and make big speeches. They don't make comments during the meeting. But you can watch them work the room during a break or out in the lobby or just moving around. And usually they're dead on with what they're doing. No show. They're just talking and visiting. And people understand that they care about 
and they care about the organization. Well, well this, this is the same type of a thing. He said, look, you do these things, but to what end? You're choosing to work only when it's being seen, but you're ignoring it in private. And you're not who you say you are. They say, but then they don't do. Verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Now, what does that mean? You travel across the world to get one person. Converted. But then you take them and you make them, what does it say, twice as much a son of hell as you are. How does that work? How does that work? They've hooked them and their allegiance is to who? And they teach that and they bring that proselyte on board as their follower rather than that of God. It's about teaching truth first and always. You know, that, that, that's what all this has been about. This whole study has been about false teachers. Teachers that create a truth in their own mind and, and I have no doubt that they believe this truth they're espousing often. You know, they, they have convinced themselves. You know, look at the Jim Jones crowds and the David Koresh crowds. I have no doubt, I doubt that Jim Jones believed he was who he said he was and convinced people. Or that David Koresh believed. I mean, they were crazy. Absolutely crazy. But they were able to take their idea with great passion. People that were searching on them. They hung on. It's not about truth for them. It wasn't within the church for so many years. See, what he's telling them is, you're a failure. You're a failure. Because you're not doing the work. Your people, all the way back to Leviticus, you who are so knowledgeable of Scripture, said, you are a priesthood to the world. Guess what? In the New Testament, what is Peter? You are a royal priesthood. You're here to share God's message to the world. It's about failing to save other people, to carry the message to them, to teach them, to bring them about. Now, look at verse 16. 
He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater? The gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. They lost track. They lost track. It's not about things. It's not about the building. It's not about the altar. It's not about possessions. It's not about knowing the right people. It's not about doing great shows of authority and power. It's about bringing glory and honor to the Father and the Son. And that's all it was ever meant to be. That's all it was ever meant to be. It's about Jesus. I, I have been to churches and sat through a sermon where some way a preacher would go a whole sermon and never read a scripture. And that blows my mind. It, it's not that what they were saying was wrong, but where is it in the Bible? Is there a scripture to back up what you're saying? Then you could argue, well, he knew it was in there, you knew it was in there, but what about the other ones that were sitting out there that didn't know it was in there? You know, the old adage, you know, listen to the preacher and then go home and study what the preacher says and test to see that it's the truth. Or if what I'm saying is the truth. You only do that by getting into the scripture. And it's about Jesus and it's about carrying out what he has set aside. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone, Blind guides who strain out a nap and swallow a camel. You know, giving one tenth. They're so careful that it gets counted out to exactly the tenth. Okay, Blackberry, lovely wife. Okay, she's got this philosophy. There's a Blackberry for the bucket. Bucket, and there's two for me. And, and that's kind of the way these people were, in the way they handled their tithing, and then they handled their giving. Now, what, what, what's the pejorative term that's applied to accountants? 
called baby showers. Okay, baby showers. And I'm glad we got people that are that meticulous in dealing with numbers, but these folks were baby showers. I went out and I picked peaches off of my tree today. I had 60 peaches that came off of it, six of them. Why not one more for good measure? Two more. Maybe there's somebody out there that's a lot hungrier than you. Why don't you give them all to somebody that needs them and not just can use them? 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. You see that commercial thing? It's Febreze. Where they walk into the son's room and the son and his friend are sitting there and they're just all smiles and happy and mom walks in and it passes out from the odor that's emanating from the dirty socks and everything that's laying around. How can they deal with those dirty socks all the time? They, they get used to it. You ever been sprayed by a skunk? You know, after a while, you don't notice the smell. Walk into the grocery store. If you think you're somebody important because the crowds part as you walk by, you know, they're, they're giving you room. Why is it? Because you've become desensitized to it and you don't smell that and everybody else does. You can get so close to something that you see what you think you're seeing and not what you're actually looking at. Okay? Now, for you cleanse the outside of the cup, make it good and clean, and the dish, but inside you're what? Full of extortion, and self-indulgence. It looks good, but on the inside is solid rock. Okay. Looks good on the outside, but solid rock on the inside. What does he tell them to do? He says, look, first cleanse the inside. Get the inside clean, and the outside's going to be okay. Because it's going to be clean as well. You see kids at school sometimes where oh, I had one boy last year that I am reasonably sure he wore the same shirt school every single day. You know, and you try to find a polite way to talk to him. And sometimes when you find out only shirt he's got. And Mama rinses it out in the sink with a bar of soap and hangs it up somewhere in the house or outside if it's nice and lets it dry. And that's all he's got. We can't be concerned about that outside because the kid was a good kid. I, I remember after I started, first started teaching, I read, you know, I, I just grew up with certain expectations. I thought everybody had a bathtub. And I thought everybody had running water. And 
And I thought everybody had electricity. And I thought, you know, all these things. And I found out a lot of these kids that lived out on the backside of Lake Cherokee out there around Kilgore, they didn't have any of those things. They had a wood stove that heated the house. They cooked on it. Literally on Saturday nights, they heated up the water and took the bath. You know, they were a throwback, another generation back, at a time that everybody had those things. Sometimes we get hung up on that, don't we? But what it looks like out here, we forget about what's inside because it's the inside that makes the difference. It's the inside that defines who you are. It's the inside that is the part that needs to grow. That's second.